On February 10th, 1987, American hip-hop group Public Enemy released their debut studio album, Yo, Bum Rush The Show. On this debut by Long Island's hip-hop revolutionaries, rapper Chuck D and his production crew The Bomb Squad introduced a booming new sound and an urgent social and political message to rap. Welcome to the 500 Albums Podcast, where we go through the Rolling Stones' top 500 list of greatest albums of all time. As selected by a panel of musicians, music critics, and journalists, and published by Rolling Stone magazine in 2003. My name is Urban, and today we are looking at number 489 on the list, Yo, Bum Rush the Show by Public Enemy. So welcome back once again. We did it. 12 episodes this was my goal to at least make 12 episodes in this year and we're going strong and there's more to come that's for sure so i'm very happy about it first of all i'd like to thank everyone who is listening to this so far and who has been following it um it's really great to see that more and more people are finding it and i hope you guys uh enjoy it and keep sharing it with whoever you think might like it so today we're looking at Public Enemy. Um, it's a very legendary group, of course, within hip hop, the new school hip hop. Um, we'll get more into that a bit later, of course. I did know of them because I've actually seen Chuck D perform with Prophets of Rage, uh, which of course comes from Public Enemy. But I wasn't as familiar with Public Enemy's work necessarily. I've heard some songs, I've heard some snippets here and there, but I wasn't quite aware of how they started and yeah, kind of what they stood for, what they do. So that was really cool to see. It's also really nice that we're looking at another hip hop album. I think the last one was the very first uh, episode we did, which was Outcast. So it's cool to actually get a different kind of genre to look at again. So without spoiling it too much, let's get into it. Starting with the artist, then looking at the time surrounding the album, the album itself and the aftermath. Public Enemy is an American hip-hop group from Long Island, New York. The group was formed in 1985 by Carlton Reidenauer, or Chuck D, and William Drayton, or Flavor Flav. And the two initially met each other at university, but Reidenauer co-hosted a radio show called Super Spectrum Mix Hour, under his name Chuck D. For this radio show, Chuck D already made some mixes and demo tapes that were released but without any breakthrough success. Chuck D and Flavor Flav further built on their musical partnership and their relationship while delivering furniture for D's father's business. The following year, Public Enemy was officially formed and a demo track for the song Public Enemy No. 1 came into the hands of legendary producer and then founder of Def Jam Records, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin and the other founder of the label, Russell Simmons, described this in an interview with Noisy. I had a post-it note with his phone number on it next to my phone, so anytime I was at the phone, I'd say Chuck D. Call Chuck D. Chuck, what's going on? 
He said he was too old. He said he had a regular job. He had already, he'd put out a record as Spectrum City. And LL was hot at the time, and he felt like, now it's a 16-year-old kid. I, I don't want to compete with that. You know, I'm different. I'm from a different time, and I had my time. And he put out records, the Spectrum City record, and it didn't happen. And he just sort of hung it up. DMC played us a song, but it was only like a minute-long version of the song "Public Enemy Number One," and that was his radio show theme. And then eventually, after badgering him after months, finally they came in and they said, "Okay, we're ready to do this, but." It's not Chuck D, it's Public Enemy. The hip-hop version of The Clash. Here's Professor Griff, here's Flavor Flav, here's Hank, here's the Bomb Squad. We're gonna have the S1Ws. They had the whole thing planned out. And I said, anything you wanna do, it's fine. Any way you wanna do it. As you can hear, Public Enemy was not just Chuck D and Flavor Flav alone. There was a whole group surrounding the duo. They also dubbed the Bomb Squad. And the Bomb Squad are the production group around D and Flav. And at the time, it consisted of the members Bill Stephanie, Eric Sadler, Hank and Keith Shockley, and Keith Boxley. And other members surrounding the group were the vocalist Professor Griff and the Scratcher and DJ Terminator X. But if you look at the brothers Hank and Keith Shockley, they were actually the ones involved with the radio show that Chuck D was hosting at the university. Because during this time, they ran their own sound system called Spectrum City. And during their performances at the universities and other places, people would come up to the stage and rap to the beats they were laying down. And most of the people did not make a lasting impression. But when Chuck D took the stage and rapped over their beats, it stuck with them. And he performed with them all weekend and later on for the rest of his career as Public Enemy. He was offered a spot as MC for the group and together they started this radio show I talked about before. If you look at Public Enemy's career and their sound during this, it has evolved somewhat. It has always been characteristic for being quite heavy, harsh and their loud noise style. And a bit later in their career, they heavily started incorporating more samples and even bringing in some unconventional and harsh sounds to build what they would call the wall of noise. Lyrically, the group was very unique for their heavy political messages that criticized the media in the United States, as well as addressing institutionalized racism against African-Americans. And this is also what the name of the group refers to. African-Americans being treated as the public enemy of the country. Public Enemy has been influenced in many different ways, both on an activism and a musical level. On the prior subject, Public Enemy has been heavily influenced by the civil rights movements and the figureheads from the time they were growing up in the 60s. And examples of this are Malcolm X, Martin Luther King and the Black Panther Party. And musically, they seem to have been inspired by the current happenings within the hip-hop scene in New York, with the new school of hip-hop. But in a way, also by punk music, because of its political messages and heavy and confrontational sound. And as you could hear in the interview with Rick Rubin, the label was also trying to push them into the direction of becoming hip-hop's The Clash. And the Clash is, of course, a very influential and legendary punk group. 
The final characteristic thing I'd like to hit upon is Public Enemy's stage show. Because this was paired with their choreographed backup dancers that were called the Security of the First World, or the S1Ws for short. And this group of dancers or backup group were usually dressed up in military uniforms, carrying guns, marching on the stage, and in a way doing martial moves. And this of course paid homage to Stax and Motown dancers that were active during the 70s. A Public Enemy has released about 15 studio albums up to this point, with their most recent one being in 2020. They have received several awards and nominations and have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. Not many hip-hop groups have done that, so that's quite outstanding. Now prior to the release of this week's album, the group did not put out any real official releases under the Public Enemy name. There was a demo track for the track Public Enemy Number 1 that also shows up on the album, but it does not differ that much from what it ended up being. But Chuck D released a single with the Shockley Brothers and another rapper called Aaron Allen, who went under the name Butch Cassidy at the time. Under the name of the sound system, Spectrum City, they released the tracks Lies and Check Out the Radio. And this prior track already released some political messages, as you can hear in the intro, and later in some of the lyrics. Those who speak the truth show forth righteousness, vision, and a deep respect for the future. They shall ride upon the wings of grace. Those who lie will always be snared by the transgressions of their own stupidity. So it shall be written, so it shall be done. The latter track of this single features a bit more heavier sound that's typical for their music and it also incorporated more electric guitars and rock elements which foreshadowed what would follow later in Public Enemy's career as well. So what was happening in the world when this album was recorded and released? But the 1980s in New York City were quite divisive. There was some restrained optimism in the city compared to the decade before, which had a very serious financial crisis that was apparent in the city, and a lot of crime happening. And this financial crisis somewhat ended earlier in the decade in the 1980s. And the mayor of the city during this period was Ed Koch, or Ed Koch, I'm not sure how Americans would pronounce it. He made an effort in gentrifying the city, which in effect undermined mostly African Americans in the city. And even though it caused some good things to happen with Wall Street booming and a lot of rich people getting richer basically, it also caused many people to be pushed into poverty and homelessness even more than before. And this also added to the racial tensions in the city. 
and crime was still at a high level in the city, and cases were often plagued by racial profiling and discrimination, with African Americans being arrested and accused of wrongdoings they did not necessarily do. And in this way, crimes got unnoticed and the police ignored the true cause of what was happening in the city. This is something that also reflected in music, especially in hip-hop. And the hip-hop genre in the mid to late 1980s had moved on from what it originally had started out to be. It went from the funk and disco-inspired hip-hop to the more rhythmic, old-school hip-hop as we call it now. And it went straight into the new school of hip-hop as we call it. And this new school of hip-hop originated and came predominantly from New York City fueled by the racial tensions and everything that was going on there. And this frustration translated into a much heavier and confrontational sound than what came before and was characterized by its minimalism and use of drum machines, which sounded very heavy. And instead of being influenced by just funk and disco music, it was very much also inspired by rock and punk music. And it was described as, quote, a hard edge, ugly slash beauty trance, as desperate and stimulating as New York itself." End quote. This style was more assertive and aggressive at times, and also stimulated the street b-boy attitude, the bragging and gloating. And as I mentioned, this style was predominantly prevalent in New York City, the label that Public Enemy eventually signed on to, Def Jam were the ones that really picked up on this trend and evolution that was happening in this city. But it all started out with Run DMC. They were the true pioneers when it came to bringing the new school of hip-hop to the masses. And this happened with their self-titled 1984 debut album. Run's brother, Russell Simmons, actually joined Rick Rubin to start their own label Def Jam. And they were the ones who pioneered in publishing the sound of the new school hip-hop. And before signing on Public Enemy, the most notable releases within the genre were LL Cool J's Radio, which was still somewhat soft, but also the Beastie Boys' License to Ill from 1986. And they had somewhat of a heavier and rock-inspired sound, but was still not as political or as heavy and confrontational. But the ones who were were of course Public Enemy, who really hit on the political climate and activism. And this is something that really was pioneered by them and opened up the ways for others in the genre to do the same. After Rick Rubin got his hands on the demo for Public Enemy number one, and he was able to convince Chuck D to sign with Def Jam, under the condition, of course, that Flavor Flav and the rest of the group would be signed as well, Public Enemy started working on their debut for the label. And even though Def Jam was very happy to sign the group, there was not a lot of money that was available to be put into artists anymore. In part because Def Jam was still a smaller label starting up, but also because the extravagant spending that was happening in the disco era Hank Shockley described this as follows, quote, When we got a deal, it was a 12-inch deal, because there was no money to give you for an album. And the 12-inch deal was $5,000. Make the record, deliver it, 
go home and don't come back here, end quote. Because of the limited budget, there was no money to hire musicians for the music, which forced them to work in a bit more creative way by taking snippets and samples from records they had in their own collection. And Hank Shockley would do this by going into INS recording studios near Wall Street in New York City. And here he would be able to record some stuff after sessions of another group called Mantronics ended around 2 or 3 a.m. because the time to rent out the studio was much cheaper at that point. Now Hank would work in this studio together with Chuck D and Eric Sadler and Hank figured out that he could deliver seven songs instead of just the 12 inch single that was needed. And for this they used Shockley's DJ equipment and cassette players to also minimize the cost but also just to do it quick. But this caused the production to sound like shit as Hank Shockley described it. Now with these seven songs that they created the group was finally able to convince the label to record more the full arsenal of tracks that finally formed their debut album. And the album's name, Yo, Bum Rush The Show, referenced the term bum rush, which is a term used for a rampant stampede that occurs in a police raid. And this once again hits on the theme of African Americans being seen as a public enemy, with a police raid coming into their show and a stampede happening. But this can also just be a metaphor for their shows being crazy and wild and people just going a bit crazy when they perform. Now the album cover is a very iconic photograph by a legendary punk and skate culture photographer Glenn E. Friedman. And in an interview with French TV station Arte, he described the idea behind the picture. You know, when I heard what they were doing, I knew that doing this album cover was going to be like doing The Clash's first album cover or something like that. I just knew it was going to be important and I wanted to be a part of it. What I loved about Public Enemy is, you know, coming from a punk rock background was, you know, the overtly political stance of Public Enemy. I was really excited about that. Chuck made a sketch for me of what he wanted it to look like. The idea is Public Enemy is coming in here and taking over the show of hip hop. And he wanted it like to look like a basement party, so we recreated a basement party at, at his studio. Composition and character is always what's most important about a photograph. The way they looked already, I mean, they were already inspired by Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and every political movement. Chuck is the leader. He's just, you know, sitting there with his arms crossed. We're taking this over whether you like it, whether you know it, this is gonna be ours now. Flavor Flav is stopping the record. The S1Ws and Terminator X are backing Chuck up and they're getting ready to take over the whole hip hop game. You know, Rick Rubin actually had the idea, he, like, he didn't even want me to use a 35 millimeter camera. He wanted me it to look like one of the kids took it at a show. The album cover also features the group's logo for the first time. And this is a b-boy in the visor of a gun, referring once again to their name. And it also features the capitalized text. The government is responsible. The government is responsible. The government is responsible. As I mentioned before, the music on this album features some sampling and snippets from records the group I already had in their collection. This album was not fully centered around this ID, but definitely laid the groundwork for what would come on their later works. The Washington Post actually described this album's musical style as follows. Quote, Public Enemy's mean and minimalist rap is marked by an absolute absence of melody. 
the scary sound is just a throbbing pulse, hard drums and a design to irritate electronic whine, like a dentist's drill or a persistent mosquito, end quote. Now, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a compliment or an insult, but to some extent it's true. The music feels quite raw and in the face, very reminiscent of punk music that also is supposed to provoke and is quite unmelodic. And compared to other hip-hop artists from the time like the Beastie Boys and LL Cool J, this definitely had less mainstream potential, especially because of its political themes. Now added on top of this harsh and heavy sound, this album also features the scratching of DJ Terminator X. Even though it was a somewhat popular technique, it further helped popularizing this type of music making. So now that we got all of that out of the way, let's look at some of the music. Of course, first starting out with the opening track, you're gonna get yours. And this track is about the Oldsmobile 98, a very characteristic car. And the intro sets the tone and warns the listener that Public Enemy is not gonna mess around. Flavor Flav tells Chuck D they're out to get them and he has to dust these boys off. Of course, talking about running off and showing them who's really boss. My favorite part of this track is definitely Chuck D's vocals, but I also like the way that the samples and scratches are used, especially in the bridge. really cool how they can make these samples sound like it's a car chasing away or running away from whoever is chasing them. Now this song was released as a single but did not manage to chart in the US. But it did actually manage to chart in the UK. And this is something that we'll talk about a bit later with their success in Europe. Now the B side of this record might have been even more popular and it's the track Rebel Without a Pause. And this track was really revolutionary and breakthrough for them, but it did not feature on this album just yet. It's on the next one, and we'll get to that at a later point. Now this song also features the next track I want to talk about, which is My Uzi Weighs a Ton. Now My Uzi Weighs a Ton is an iconic track, most notable for its very recognizable chorus or hook, whatever you want to call it. It's a scratch chorus, which means it puts different songs together to create a chorus of its own, something very original. But what makes this song even more interesting to me are its poignant lyrics about Chuck's or even just African-Americans' position in society being, quote, wanted in 50, almost in 51, of course referring to the States, and that he can't wait to read the headlines of my capture, accused of assault, first-degree crime. 
And he correlates this to his rapping ability and him being notorious in that way. But of course, there's much more subtext going on with these lyrics. And to me, these rhymes just seem very powerful and very poignant for their message that they're trying to get after. Now the following track I want to hit upon is of course the track Public Enemy Number 1. And as I talked before, this was the first track that Rick Rubin got his hands onto and he was hooked immediately. And it was originally used as a radio promo for their college radio show. And the intro starts out with Flavor Flav talking about Chuck D, how he's starting to turn into a public enemy. And he also references their time delivering for Chuck's father's business. And in the background of this intro, you can already hear it. But then it really kicks in with the synths and Chuck D's powerful vocals that blew away everyone when they first heard it. This song was released as the first single from the album, but somehow it did not manage to chart anywhere but Australia. And the song was played on a few radio stations, including at a show from the DJ Mr. Magic, who said, no more music by these suckers. And this quote was actually used and put onto their follow-up record as a payback to the show and to this guy. And in that way, telling them that there indeed would be more from them. Kind of gloating their success and telling him, told you so. Now, the final track I want to talk about is the title track of the album. Yo, Bum Rush the Show. And this song also has a very recognizable hook. Now this is one of the few tracks that features a full verses by Flavor Flav. And the track also features some references to American football. And according to the bass player and co-producer and later an executive for Def Jam Records, Bill Stephanie, Chuck D often did things or expressed himself through the lens of sports. Which of course checks out with this song, but also to some of the other songs on the record if you really listened for it. Now, this song also features a few samples, including the song Shack Up by Ben Barra.
Yo Bum Rush This Show was released on February 10th of 1987, and it was received with mixed feelings, being particularly criticized by white critics because of Chuck D's pro-black nationalist sentiments, and sometimes they completely skipped past those themes and purely focused on the sound or the music, or just Flavor Flav's little things here and there in between. An example of this is John Leland, who was the writer for Spin Magazine and The Village Voice, who wrote he found Chuck D's verses boring, and only got hooked by Flavor Flav's jovial contributions. And this criticism actually got to Chuck D, who actually at an industry reception was trying to get at Leland, but never did, of course. But on the other hand of these critics, there were also critics who applauded this record. An example of this is John Perales from the New York Times. And he actually wrote, quote, Yo, bum rush the show. The grittiest rap album so far this year. And one of rap's fastest sellers. And like other recent rap albums, Yo, bum rush the show is audio theater with a dance beat. Public Enemy is weakest when it follows rap's macho conventions. Its songs are far more convincing and unsettling when Mr. D takes on money and power. At a time when most rappers typecast themselves as comedy acts or party bands, Public Enemy's best moments promise something far more dangerous and subversive. Realism. End quote. Now as I mentioned a bit before, in contrast to the United States, the album was received much better across the pond in the United Kingdom. And there it was actually named one of the year's best records. And this also opened up for them to tour through Europe the following years. Something not too common for American hip-hop artists at the time. Now the album and its singles were mostly ignored by radio stations because of its controversial messages and harsh sound. But it managed to chart somehow. And it reached number 125 on the Billboard Top LPs. And it was actually named one of hip-hop's fastest selling records. By the following year it had sold more than 300,000 copies in the United States. Now upon its release the sound of the album already felt somewhat outdated. And this is also because the album was delayed in its release. But because it sounded outdated it might have also contributed to the lack of mainstream attention to it. But the album's sales and the potential of the group were reason enough for them to make another record. And this became their real breakthrough success, with It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, which was released in 1988, the following year. Now, I will not get into this album as much because it shows up later in the podcast, very high on the list, but I can tell you, it definitely shows their evolution. Now, the group's stage show also started really taking off, and they became hip-hop legends. And the following album, Fear of a Black Planet, from 1990, was also a great success. And same goes here, more on that in a later episode of the podcast. The group started losing their leading position in hip-hop, however, somewhere in the mid-90s. Paired with some controversy and lineup changes, and of course, just the changing landscape of music in general. They continued making music however, and they kept touring as well, but at a much slower pace than before. 
In more recent years, Chuck D and new member of the group, DJ Lord, actually formed a rap rock supergroup called Prophets of Rage, which is of course named after a Public Enemy song. And they did this together with ex-members of Rage Against the Machine and Cypress Hill. In 2020, Public Enemy released their most recent release called What You Gonna Do When The Grid Goes Down. Now if you look at the influence that Public Enemy has had on the genre and music in general, they have been a major icon within the hip-hop scene, making immense contributions in the area of sonic experimentation and political activism within music. Their themology, stage show, and public persona was fully built around their political stance. And this revolutionary take on hip-hop inspired a lot of artists within the genre. And Public Enemy pushed the scene into a direction where Afrocentrism was much more embraced, with artists like Queen Latifah, the Jungle Brothers, and a tribe called Quest. But outside of the genre of hip-hop, the group has been recognized as being influential as well, with many in the rock and electronic music genres citing Public Enemy as a major influence, and they even sample or cover some of their songs. This includes the group The Prodigy, who covered the song Public Enemy Number 1. Thank you for listening. That was it for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure to subscribe or follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen to it. You can also share it with anyone you think might like it. And you can also rate the podcast in the Apple Podcast app, which helps sharing the album with others. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you want, uh, at 500albumspod, to get any updates whenever a new episode is up. You can also email me with your favorite tracks on the album. Any questions you have, any suggestions, might be fun to answer some of your questions on this uh, on this show. And you can send this through 500albumspod at gmail.com, which is 500albumspod at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be looking at uh, album number 488 on the list, which is Destroyer by the band Kiss. So, make sure to listen to that album, and I'll see you then. Bye.